Good morning. It's just me today. The youth are away on a retreat, and the uh, women's, the ladies' ensemble is away on a retreat. And so I told them in the first service, we are the remnant that remains. So uh, I'm grateful that you've come to be a part of this service today, uh, this Sunday after Easter. It's always a delight to be together in the house of the Lord. Uh, The announcements for the week are in your bulletin, but first let me welcome our visitors if we have any, and uh, we do have a visitor's card attached to our bulletin. If you would take time to fill that out and place it in the offering plate or uh, give it to me or one of the deacons at the door at the conclusion of the service, we would be grateful for that. And again, we welcome you. And then back to the announcements, we have deacons meeting this evening at 6.30. And on Monday, the anniversary team will meet at 7. On Wednesday, I'll just try to highlight the things that are different that we're doing. Uh, In our prayer meeting at 6.15, we will have speakers Rob and Amanda Roan, who are missionaries to the former country of Burma. And they um, are staying in our Alpha House, and they're going to come talk to us about their uh, ministry uh, there. And so I would invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, I had talked to them about coming for our 11 o'clock service. I see it's not listed here, and I did not have a chance to talk to Debbie about that on Thursday. So she may know something I don't know is the reason they're not listed there, but I hope they'll be with us at 11 o'clock on Wednesday as well. I have spoken with them uh, on one occasion, and they have a story to tell. They had to leave uh, rather quickly uh, when they had to uh, depart from the country, and they're going back sometime in July. When they leave us next month, they will go to Texas for uh, a little while. And then you see the other activities that are listed for Wednesday night. And then on Thursday, the fellowship breakfast at Cold Harbor is at 7 o'clock. We would invite you to attend and to be a part of that uh, time of fellowship. Also, um, we have a short devotion as well uh, at that time. So I hope that you will take those uh, to note. Um, two things. One, I'm going to recognize Kevin Hare for an announcement about the insert in your bulletin. Following Kevin Hare, our mission friends will come in with their Annie Armstrong uh, banks. So, Kevin. Good morning. On behalf of the nominating team, I just wanted to come and talk to you all for just a minute about the handout that you have found in your bulletin. I've talked to some of you this morning also in your Sunday school classes, but so this will be a repeat for some of you. But we just wanted to uh, ask you all that on that list there that if you could circle three or more of the different ministry teams that you may be interested in serving on in the coming years, uh, that would be a great help to both you and to the nominating team, not just this year, but in years to come. Uh, On the back of that sheet, you will find a brief description of what each of those uh, teams is about, in case you've got questions about that. Our goal here for the nominating team is that we know right now that there are some of you out there that are serving on more than two teams, and we would like to be able to have it so that you serve on no more than two teams in a year's time. No guarantees there, but that's what our goal is there. And also, hopefully, that we can find things that you're interested to do for you to serve on. So it'll make it easier for all of us there. Um, The handouts are available this week. They'll also be in the bulletins next week. 
and we will be accepting those for the next three weeks uh, in the back of the church. Uh, you should find the box back there, and we also have a couple next door that you can hand them in there again during the next three weeks. If something happens and they do get put in the offering plate, that's not a problem either. They'll get to us, so uh, however you see fit, uh, that would be great. And if it's something you know already, exactly what you're interested in serving on, great, you can get that done. But if not, uh, we, we do ask that you prayerfully consider this and uh, take it home and just bring it back here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we appreciate your time that you spend on that. Thank you. we pray. Oh Lord, as we bow before you on this day that you have given to us, we are grateful for the power of your love to redeem us and for the hope that rests in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're thankful, Father, for every opportunity to be together. We pray for those who are not with us today because they are involved in other ministries at this time, for the ladies' ensemble and for our youth. We pray that they will accomplish much and that they will return safely to us. We pray, Father, that as we give this gift of worship to you, that we might constantly be aware of the great gift given to us, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. Our hymn is hymn number 216, O 4,000 Tongues to Sing. Will you stand as we sing, please? and keep your hymnal in hand and turn to page number 274 for our responsive reading. Page 274. 
reading responsively, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The word is mighty, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with my mouth, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. Hymn number 330, Amazing Grace. Will you stand as we sing together?
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today for giving us the opportunity to come to your house and worship and praise you. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and died on the cross for us and provides us a path to eternal life. We know everything that we are and have is due to you. Please accept these offerings today and lead and guide and direct us in everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen.
I normally don't bring my cell phone to the pulpit with me, but I don't have my watch. Forgot my watch. And I told some of them coming in the door that a preacher without a watch is a very dangerous thing on a Sunday morning. So this kind of helps me keep track of where I am, uh, if not you. But that's why it's here. And if you see me push that button now and then, I'm checking the time, okay? Um, But I'm grateful that we have this time together this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope in years to come. Into your presence we bow on this day that you've given to us, seeking to come to terms with who we are in relationship to your grace. We confess before you, Father, our sinfulness and recognize our need for a Savior. For indeed we are dead in trespasses of sin, but you have given us life through the resurrection. And we celebrate that hope every day. We're thankful, Father, that as we come to this house of worship, that we come together in celebration of your love for us. And that we come here, Father, to be challenged and to grow in our relationship to you. But help us, Father, as we leave this place to serve in the community in which we work and live. Help us, Father, to recognize that not only we have a need for a Savior, but the world has a need for the Savior. We are grateful, Father, for the power that comes to us through the Spirit of Christ and through the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And may we, Father, seek to serve you in all truthfulness and with all sincerity. We pray, Father, for those of our church family and community who are ill, who are injured, who are hurting in other ways. We give them to you, Father, knowing that as we pray that results take place. You have asked us to pray, and so we pray, Father, recognizing that your will can be done in people's lives. But you have asked us to pray on behalf of those who have needs, and so we do. We seek healing and hope and wholeness. And Father, we must never forget that there are those who have lost loved ones in recent days, months, and even years. And we are still burdened by these losses. Our hearts are heavy. And so we seek comfort from you and your presence in our lives. We pray, Father, that light would break through and that as we continue our journey called life, that we could celebrate our loved one's love in you as we celebrate the love we have for you and our loved ones. We pray for our missionaries. For sometimes, Father, they are in very dangerous places. We thank you for their commitment And for our commitment to them, may our commitment grow as we pray and as we give. They go, Father, when we cannot. And for this we give thanks. We pray for our country and we pray for peace. We are grateful, Father, that as we come together today, that we do so with the freedom to worship. But help us never to take these freedoms for granted. 
freedom truly comes in you, but we are thankful that we live in a place where we can come together in the name of Jesus. Bless our leaders. Help them, Father, to make wise decisions about our future. We pray, Father, that as we open your word this morning, that we might have open minds and open hearts as we seek to receive your word in song and in spoken word. Bless us, Father, as we serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me home to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way grows dreary, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is almost gone, at the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. In this world of 
fearing thou On my knees I asked a question Why the lonely heavy cross I must bear Then he tells me in my prayer It's because I am trustworthy He gives me strength for more than my share Precious Lord, take my hand Lead me on, let me stand I am tired, I am weak, I am worn Through the storm, through the night Hold my hand, hold it tight Take my hand, precious Lord Lead me Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Romans chapter 5. Somewhat of a difficult passage of Scripture that we take on the Sunday after Easter, but it makes a great deal of sense in light of the cross and the resurrection and the idea of original sin as laid out by the church fathers and how that applies to us as Baptist Christians. So we want to look at that. This morning. So, beginning at verse 12 of chapter 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we understand Paul's writings in Romans, 
and his theological perspective in Romans, we will have an understanding of Paul's theology throughout all of his writings in the New Testament. And so we pause at this particular part of Romans to come to terms with the understanding of our sin and the price paid for our sin and how grace makes the difference. A scorpion asked a beaver to take him across the river on his back. Are you insane? Ask the beaver. While I'm swimming, you'll sting me and I'll drown. Oh, come now, laughed the scorpion. Why would I sting you? Then I'd drown too. Come on, be logical. That makes sense, said the beaver. Hop on and off we'll go. The scorpion climbed on the beaver's back, but halfway across the river, he gave the poor trusting beaver a mighty sting. As they both sank to the bottom, the beaver asked, Why did you do such a wicked thing? You said yourself there would be no logic in your stinging me. Why then did you do it? Logic has nothing to do with it, sighed the scorpion. It's just my nature. Peter, in writing about our beloved brother Paul, indicated that Paul's epistle contains some things hard to understand, which they are untaught and unstable, twist to their own destruction, and they do also to the rest of the scriptures unto their own destruction. He recorded this in Second Peter. One of the passages of Paul that Peter found hard to understand must certainly have been Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 which is the scripture passage we will look at this morning. Modern interpreters, without exception, find the passage difficult. Some theologians have adopted Augustine's conclusions that original sin and have declared there are infants in hell not a span long because of Adam's sin. Some propositions are wrong, even though they seem to be supported by biblical interpretation. Theological conclusions that contradict God's justice, love, and grace simply cannot be the intention of God in light of Paul's teachings on grace in this and other passages of Scripture. Many competent theologians deny Augustine's doctrine of original sin and do not believe that Paul teaches it in this passage or elsewhere. As Baptist Christians, we believe in the age of accountability. A time when we come to know of our sins. It is a good rule of interpretation that the obscure scripture passages should be interpreted by the plain. Erroneous and harmful conclusions result when the plain teaching is subordinated to some faithful, fanciful interpretation of an obscure text. In this message, we hope to let Paul interpret himself. The general theme is clear. The blessings that have come to us through Jesus Christ are much more wonderful than the evils that have come to us through Adam. We cannot blame our sin on Adam any more than Adam blamed his sin on Eve. We all have a personal responsibility before the Lord to repent from personal sin and by faith accept the grace of God. But let's look for a moment at how this passage comes together. First, we look at Adam's sin and ours. Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all sinned. This is not the first time Paul 
makes mention of the fact that we all have sinned. This sentence was not completed though, I believe. If Paul had followed through in this verse with his later thought, he probably would have included, so also by one man righteousness entered into the world and life by righteousness. This thought is shown later in the text. The reference, of course is to the account of Adam's sin and banishment from the Garden of Eden as recorded in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, before their sin, had fellowship with God and were immortal. Sin broke the bond of fellowship between them and God. The sentence of death was executed on them in that they became mortals, but more importantly, they died in the spiritual sense that they were driven from the fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden. At the time of executing the sentence, God promised a savior of the seed of the woman who would crush Satan. Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. An altar symbolic of the provision of God would make for the forgiveness of their sins was placed at the east entrance of the garden and was guarded by cherubim with flaming swords to keep open the way back to the tree of life. The record does not tell us whether Adam and Eve availed themselves of the provisions God made for their salvation. We hope they repented and accepted the atonement God provided by His grace. There is a little evidence to lead us to that conclusion, but we're not sure. But we are sure of this. All of Adam's posterity have been mortal. All have inherited the tendency to sin. All by nature, as with the scorpion, follow the bent to sin. As naturally as water seeks a lower level, all people naturally sin. Isaiah said it, didn't he? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sheep by nature tend to go astray. A cat or a dog may find its way back home, but not a sheep. It is the nature of sin to seek one's own way rather than God's way. Isaiah affirms that people are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. But God has laid on Jesus, the suffering servant, the sins of all of us. And he bears them away. That's the reason for the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. All of Adam's posterity are dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. Only God can give them new life. We cannot save ourselves for salvation is of God. We sin because it's in our nature to sin. But the next question is, are we condemned for Adam's sin? For for that all have sinned, we read in verse 12 of chapter 5, is the key passage. Did Adam's posterity sin in Adam? Augustine, misled by the Latin translation, understood Paul to say, in whom all sinned, and developed the theory that the whole race was similarly present in Adam. The federal theory held that God made a covenant with Adam as the representative of the whole race. Others have maintained that Paul believed in the solidarity of the family or race to the extent extent that the sin of one is the sin of all. All of these theories, I believe, are unworthy of Paul and certainly unworthy of God. 
we must understand Paul in this light. For that all have sinned to mean that individually the posterity of Adam has sinned. You have sinned because you chose to sin. It's very clear. God gives us choices. And in those choices, sometimes, most of the time, we choose poorly, don't we? We have choices to make. Janet reminded me of a story from several years ago after the first sermon. And she said, I wish I could have whispered it in your ear so you could share it. My daughter, Courtney, you know Courtney. Uh, children are attracted to Courtney and always have been. Maybe that's why she is a teacher. But they were in the pool one day and uh, when she was a teenager. And a bunch of little girls were swimming around her and uh, started to worry Courtney. So she looked at Janet and she mouthed the words, help me. And so Courtney, Janet said, all right, Courtney, you need to get out of the pool. You need a timeout. Courtney was probably 15, 16 years old. So she goes and sits down, and the little girls wondered why Courtney had to get out of the pool. And Courtney looked at one of the girls who was probably about three years old and said, because you got me in trouble. And the little girl folded her arms very quickly and said, oh, no, you got your own self in trouble. We get our own selves in trouble, don't we? We don't need help. Paul makes a valid distinction between sin and guilt in this passage as well. Although he does not use the word guilt in verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Impute means to charge to one's account. Guilt is not charged when there is no knowledge of right or wrong. For example, a toddler found a lighter and set a fire. The toddler had sinned in that the action was wrong and could have caused great harm. Guilt was imputed because the baby did not know the law. That's why we teach our children right and wrong, isn't it? The law of Moses made God's law, His will clear that the offense might abound. In other words, the law shows us the need... For a Savior. The law teaches us. Why then did death reign then from Adam to Moses? As this scripture says. Because humankind always had some knowledge of God. Recall Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1. That the Gentiles had knowledge of God because of God's revelation in nature or natural theology. You know, when you look into the world and you see all the beauty that's there, you can't make that, can you? Now, scientifically, we have different ways that people do different things and make hybrids. But the bottom line is, we don't have the ability, apart from the life-giving power of God, to create anything. We have flowers because God provides them. We have trees because God provides them in His great plan for this world. And the trees and the plants all provide something for us as well, right? They take carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. We take oxygen and produce carbon dioxide, right? So we that's a balancing. Isn't that beautiful when you think about how the plan of this world is what it is? 
in regard to that? And you remember the song that we used to sing in Bible school, Who Can Make a Flower? Do you remember that song? We used to sing that song, and then you'd point to somebody, can you, and I can't, and it'd go round and round, I'm not going to sing it for you. But the bottom line is, what was the answer to the question, even in Bible school? I can't, you can't, but God can. So we have this natural understanding that there is something bigger than we are. And in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, we also know it's because of God's revelation in human nature. We see what God can do in other people. Paul compared and contrasted Adam and Christ in bold sweeping lines without noting exceptions. If from therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all to condemnation in verse 18, we draw the conclusion that all are condemned for Adam's sin apart from personal participation, then logically from even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all unto justification of life. We might conclude that all are saved apart from repentance and faith. But we know both of these conclusions are false because of what Jesus and Paul had taught elsewhere. We have a responsibility to admit our sin and to repent and turn to God. When sin, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, verse 20. Whatever the disabilities because of human relations to Adam, the blessings in Christ are much more. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God is always for us. He does not point the finger at our sins and say, I turn my back on you. God hates our sin, but He loves us. And He gives us every opportunity to come to Him. His grace abounds much more than anything we could ever do to ourselves if we only will receive it. How can sin be rendered powerless? As Paul says in a different place in Romans in verse chapter 6, verse 6. Consider the effect of gravity on any object, but just for instance a book. Gravity would cause an unsupported book to fall, wouldn't it? But gravity can be rendered powerless against the book by simply placing a table under it. Now, I'm not going to drop this book, and I didn't do it in the first service because I don't want to bend over and pick it up. But you know what will happen. You've lived on the earth long enough to know, right, that if I drop this book, it's going to hit on the ground, right? But if I drop the book right here, the pulpit catches it, doesn't it? As long as the table is under the book, gravity cannot cause it to fall. Of course, gravity has not really lost its power, nor is it no longer present. It is just that the table is stronger than the gravity's effect on the book. It's the same could be... Have you ever sat in a chair that broke? Now, you don't have to stand up and admit it. I was at my sister-in-law's one time years ago in Florida and sat in one of those crazy rocking chairs that looked kind of round. Next thing I know, it was kindling in the floor. And so was I. Gravity took over. For the Christian, grace is like that table and our sin nature is like gravity's pull. As long as we allow grace through Christ to hold us up, 
Our dependence on grace gives us victory over sin. Our sinful impulses have no power to pull us down. God's grace has more than matched the anticipation of sin through the law and so given sure promise of life beyond the cold grasp of death. Sin and death once reigned, but now grace encompasses the whole of the new. As grace became present in its overflowing abundance by the gracious act of Christ, so the rule of grace will continue on into the future, into life eternal. God sustains us by His grace and we are dependent on His grace till its final and complete outworking in eternal life. Grace is what took Jesus to the cross. Grace is what rose Him up from the grave. Romans 6.23 tells us very clearly that the wages of sin is death, but the sinner need not stay dead. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As light can overcome darkness, eternal life can overcome death. The Word was the source of life. And the life brought life to all people. John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 teaches the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Behind this complicated passage is the one idea found first in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22. As in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. In this passage and also in Romans, the future time has an end time orientation, but the present is not excluded. At no place does Paul say all share the actual guilt and transgression of Adam before their own transgression or that all share the actual grace and righteousness of Christ before an act of faith. There is no universalism in guilt apart from personal accountability. As there is no universalism in salvation apart from personal faith. Our relationship to sin is our relationship. And our relationship to Christ is our relationship. We all have a personal responsibility to God. We all have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we all have to come to the understanding of our need for a Savior. The one man, Adam, who lost his way, condemned those like him to fall short of the destiny intended for all of humanity. The one man, Christ, who refused the wrong turning and completed our intended destiny, thereby made it possible for those who come after him to fulfill that destiny to, to, through the grace which was and is preeminently in Christ. We come to Christ Because He gave His all. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived the life that God intended for each of us to live. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He did those things that we as human beings in and of ourselves do not have the power to do. He shows us through Christ what was intended for us. 
our relationship with God is a personal relationship through Christ. Christ died for the sins of the whole world, but he also died for you. Isn't that the beauty of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then what does he say? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Each of our sins took Jesus to the cross. We were there with Jesus on that cross because of our sins. Each of our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Certainly the sins of those of the past can cause us problems today. It is obvious if we look at history. The sins of the fathers do affect the children, but each of us is responsible before God for our own sin and forgiveness is found in the grace given to us through Christ. We have no excuse for what has happened in the past. Our relationship with Christ is as personal as you are breathing today. Our responsibility to Christ is now. You remember, and I said this also in the first service, Flip Wilson, probably in this service, many of you remember Flip Wilson more so in this first service, but uh, Flip Wilson was a comedian. Remember one of his catch lines? The devil made me do it. He used to always say that. No. Sometimes, yes, the devil makes you do it. But sometimes you do it on your own. You get your own self in trouble. The sins of the fathers do affect. Gary Gilmore, executed in Utah in the late 70s, wrote a letter to his girlfriend before the execution. He said, it seems that I know evil more intimately than I know goodness, and that's not a good thing either. I want to get even, to be made even, whole, my debts paid, whatever it may take, to have to... to, to have no blemish, no reason to feel guilt or fear. I'd like to stand in the sight of God. To know that I'm just and right and clean. When you're this way, you know it. And when you're not, you know that too. It's all inside of us. Each of us. God shows us our need for a Savior, doesn't he? He shows us by the law. But he gives us something we could never get on our own. He gives us grace. And so this is the message. Where there was sin and guilt, there is justification and forgiveness. Where death, there is eternal life. Where sin reigned, bringing death, grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Paul understood it. Yes, Adam sinned. But God is a personal God. And he wants us personally. And so he asks us to confess and repent and receive his grace. He said where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. And if that is not evidence Of that verse that says to us, if God is for us, a little later in Romans, 
who shall be against us? God is for us. Never forget. Or why would he have gone to such great lengths to redeem us? Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful that as we look at these verses, as difficult as they may be on the surface, they show us a real truth. And that truth is that your grace abounds. Yes, Father, we are judged on the basis of our sins, but as we are judged, we are forgiven if we only would come to you. Help us to understand, to come to terms with what you have done for us. As we celebrated the resurrection last Sunday and the hope that rests in that resurrection, may we move forward from this place with an understanding of why it was necessary for Christ to die and to defeat death through the resurrection. We who are dead in trespasses and sin have been given life by your grace and we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 329, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. I hope that as we have looked at this passage of Scripture, it gives us a clear understanding of our sin nature and of our need for a Savior. If you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you to do so. His grace gives us something that we can never achieve on our own. Will you stand as we sing hymn number 329?
I'm pleased to uh, welcome this morning and introduce to you Frank and Kitty Howard, who come to us on promise of letter from another congregation in North Carolina. They live in uh, Rose Hill community and been attending now for well over a year. Yeah, and we're grateful that they've come. I talked to Kitty last week on the phone, and she said, well, it's about time. So I'm glad that they've come to be a part of our church family. And I know you want to affirm that by saying amen. amen. And so we're grateful that they're here. And I'll ask, will you stand here and let the folks greet you uh, at the, after the benediction? We always like to do that. And uh, you may not remember all the names, but it's a good way to at least be introduced to some folks that you may not know. I'm grateful that you're here today on this Sunday after Easter, traditionally low Sunday, and they didn't help us any by taking two trips away from us today, did they, uh, on top of being a low Sunday. But I'm grateful that you have been a part of this uh, first Sunday after Easter service today. We have lots of things coming up. Uh, we advertise them along the way. Someone asked me this morning if we uh, had one service uh, for Mother's Day, yes, we'll have one service for Mother's Day because we always do the family day breakfast on Mother's Day. So um, we will have one service for Mother's Day, but two up until that point, okay? So uh, that's reason, one reason I don't like to tell you things like that because I think now you'll leave. Now, did he say we were having one service next week? Uh, it's easy to get confused that way, but no, it's not until uh, Mother's Day that we're doing uh, that. Uh, the rain held off for us to get to our cars. Uh, be prepared for rain today, Monday, and Tuesday, they're telling us now. So we need the rain, a beautiful time of year to receive rain, and we're grateful. Which brings me to a prayer concern that I want to share with you. Uh, you know the Davises who live uh, sometimes in our Alpha house, Ronnie and um, uh, I can't remember her, Gail, thank you, Ronnie and Gail Davis. Uh, they, I see on, I'm friends with them on Facebook and get a correspondence from them. Uh, they are having a very severe drought in South Africa in the province that they live in. And she tells me to think of it in terms of a state. And right now their reservoir has about 14% water in it. It's like 24%, but 10% of that, of that water is not usable. And I have watched her correspondence as that amount has continued to drop. You remember their, uh, our winter is their summer. And so they're just coming out of uh, uh, summertime uh, into fall. Uh, and so uh, we need to pray for them. That is a, that's for the whole province. So that would be like taking the whole state of Virginia and there's just that much water left uh, for all to use for all things. So uh, I thought I would share that with you because uh, uh, you can tell with each correspondent she gets a little more concerned and desperate feeling about that. Uh, we've experienced drought but not to that degree, I don't think, in, in the, uh, at least in our region of the, of the uh, United States. But pr please pray for them. There will be someone to sign you up uh, if you haven't signed up yet for the uh, church directory. Uh, they are out there. Barbara and Chuck are out there. We want to thank Barbara for uh, her patience with you and your patience with her as we continue to sign up. Let's close with the benediction. Gracious 